0: Good afternoon, and welcome back to the EJS show on the Liberty Block with Ed, Jody, and Steve. Today, we will be discussing big tech and social media, and whether government intervention into their censorship and monopolies is a good or bad idea, through conservative and libertarian lenses, recognizing that this may well be an issue where political ideologies struggle to stay consistent in their goals and beliefs. This show is being recorded live and we will be available within a few hours as a podcast, which can be found on iTunes and SoundCloud by searching for EJS Show on Liberty Block. I am Steve, and we will begin by asking Ed to share with us some background as to why government has any business in regulating any type of media, whether newspapers, TV airwaves, Cable TV, the internet, or even telephones—is regulation only tied to libel laws? Where do they come from? How do we feel about them? And the question we hear so often: Is it a platform or is it a publisher? Take it away, Ed.
1: Well, that's quite an introduction, there, Stephen. I don't know that I have a couple hours to to devote to answering that question fully, but. Um, Certain, you know, and, and I think just the way you formulated it, I don't know that it's regulation. I think it's the question is not regulation as much as whose rights get protected and how, you know, how do confl- conflicting rights claims get, get adjudicated? So let, um, let me ask
0: you a question. Let me focus a question strongly. Sure. How did it happen at all that any type of government influence got into any type of media whatsoever? Was that because of libel or something else?
1: Well, certainly libel, you know, libel is a species of defamation law. Libel is when it, the defamation is in writing, slander is when the defamation is verbal. Um, and, you know, libel, you know, defamation laws go back before we were United States of America. The John Peter Zenger case of 1734, I believe, was a case involving uh, a claimed libel. Uh, and truth was in that case established that truth. Is an absolute defense to a libel claim. Um, whether somebody has a property right in his reputation is a hotly contested issue in the, in the libertarian movement and between libertarians and conservatives. Uh, conservatives tend to be very pro-protecting uh, uh, reputation uh, and intellectual property. But in the libertarian movement, it's a it's a much more contested issue. Some libertarians believe that the government should be protecting reputation and copyright and trademark and other intellectual property. Other libertarians don't believe that. Um, So,
0: yeah, go ahead. Are you saying that some people don't believe there should be any libel laws? Because I wasn't aware of that.
2: Yeah, some libertarians, um, I mean, you know, the anarchists, yeah, believe it in none. But even some libertarians who don't identify as anarchists believe there should be no laws, um, no IP laws, so IP um, no government regulation of anything like that. But again, Ed, like you're saying, some libertarians are are anarchists, voluntarists, okay. so they don't believe in the laws at all.
0: So just to go backwards, to make it simpler for me, if I understand correctly, Ed, you're saying that libel laws branch off of property rights? Sure.
1: Uh, and just just so the audience is aware, the other voice that we heard was Alu, who is a top contributor on the Liberty Block. He's one of our leading editors and one of the smartest guys that we have on the site. Um, But yes, uh, defamation is a species of property law. It comes from the property right that you have in the reputation that you've acquired through the course of your life, through the actions you've taken. Um, Go ahead.
0: So... That's interesting also to me because I thought libertarians were the biggest ones on property rights. So I guess I'm missing something there too.
1: Well, it depends on whether you view it as property right or whether you view it as a speech right of the speaker. The libertarians who are opposed to defamation laws are free speech, what they would call free speech absolutists. They don't believe that any government law should abridge the freedom to speak. Um, Even I think even fire in a crowded theater, they don't think that that should be a government law that should regulate that, that that should be a tort law that would hold the, the speaker responsible for making that false claim and for the injuries that he causes. Uh, but I'll defer to Alu on that. Alu is much more well-versed in in the libertarian
2: answer to that. Yeah, like but, you said, I mean, it, it runs the gamut. I mean, there's a whole big spectrum among libertarians from the more conservative moderate libertarians to libertarians to voluntarists um i've heard various different opinions on free speech and whether government should regulate anything and and of course the fire in a crowded theory theater people bring up that argument in regards to the first amendment and second amendment when they say there could be some regulation because even the first amendment has some regulation you can't threaten to murder someone you can't Uh, put up like you know a free speech you know child porn or something on the internet that's not free speech protected or fired a crowded theater or something that might uh be dangerous so some things are not protected and that's one of the very few arguments that i think is at least a challenge for me when someone brings that up and it's a it's a a good question as well um but you made a good point about tort law it could be regulated maybe in a a civil case if that's what you mean like a civil lawsuit holding them liable for the injuries from being trampled instead of uh being a, a law as far as preventing speech.
0: Right, so now I'm, now I'm really confused. Torts are civil actions, correct?
1: Yes, they are.
0: No libel is a crime, is it?
1: Well, there used to be criminal libel statutes. Um, I haven't looked into this recently. I don't know if there's still any criminal libel laws, but it, before New York Times versus Sullivan, which is a 1964 U.S. Supreme Court case, um, there used to be criminal libel laws uh the new york times versus sullivan standard that got implemented i don't want to say that it precludes any criminal libel laws but it makes them very difficult Um, and the subsequent interpretations of the sullivan standard which requires fault on the on behalf of the speaker makes it make also makes it hard um
2: so but right now you're saying libel is generally not criminal right now libel is generally just a civil thing
1: I think generally, I I don't know. There, it may be exclusively civil, um, but I know there used to be criminal libel statutes. I can't tell you whether there actually are right now. Um, there may be, but I just don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. Okay,
0: so some of us believe that there are libertarians who wouldn't even file civil actions if their reputations were destroyed?
1: Well, I don't know what they would do if, you know, given the... You know, there are libertarians who accept Social Security on the grounds that they advocate against it and think that the program should be abolished, but figure that because they paid into it, they're entitled to get what they're entitled to. Um, So I don't want to say that they wouldn't file a lawsuit, but I think that there are libertarians who believe that tort law that encompasses defamation should be either statutorily statutorily or judicially overruled and taken out of the, the body of civil law.
0: Okay. So other than the libel issues, so if we talk about media as far as, I guess, used to only exist newspapers and pamphlets. There weren't phones even, right? So that was the only medium way back when?
1: Well, there was also verbal, right? There was person to person. You could say that you know, your wife is a whore, or, you know, you're a cheat in your business, or, you know, you could say a lot of things verbally.
0: Right. So forgetting verbal, though, we're going to try to get down to regulation of media. So in the beginning, media would only have been pamphleteering and newspapers. And I'm assuming other than libel, either as criminal or as a civil action, other than that, nobody ever thought we could regulate it because of the First Amendment. Is that pretty true?
1: Um, I think you've got, you might be painting too broad a brush. And and there were also things like billboards that go back a while. Um, You know, and those are sort of hybrid, uh, hybrid, you know, speech issues, whether it's commercial speech or not commercial speech. Um, But I'm not, I'm not clear exactly what you're asking, Stephen.
0: Okay. I'm just trying to get to where we got today in this publisher versus platform question. And did we ever, to me, a telephone is a platform. Does everybody agree to that?
2: Of course. Yeah, I'd say so.
0: I mean, in the sense that I can say anything I want about you or your wife, it could be the most libelous thing. You could win a billion dollar claim, but you can't sue the phone company. Correct?
1: Correct. Correct. I mean, the only exception I can think of, and it's more of an academic exception than a real world exception would be if the phone company were put on notice that somebody is going to make a phone call involving a libelous, or it doesn't have to be libel; it could be, you know, copyright infringement or trademark infringement. Uh, those are other things that uh, instances where speech, you know, allegedly speech, can be prohibited or punished by the government. Um,
2: but uh, or if the phone company knew about terrorism calls, no,
0: because that's, that's a complicated too. Uh, question:
3: um, Quick question on that. As as a Title II entity, the uh, utility. Would the phone company be liable? Because you know, because it is a utility, it's not an information service.
1: Silence. You should introduce yourself when you speak. That's our. That's Silence Do Good, who is a visitor to the show today.
3: Sorry, my apologies. <laughs> of course, forgot. Um, yes. Uh, name is Sai, you can just call me Sai, uh, but again, because the, the traditional telephone companies classified as a, as a, as a Title II utility, uh, and, and re- uh, regulated under Title II, as opposed to being an information service, could they have liability, or not necessarily in such a case, because they're, they're functioning as a utility?
2: Um.
1: I don't know that it's because they're functioning as utility, but it's because they're functioning without knowledge of what's being published across their, their, uh, network. And they're not in any way, uh, they're not exercising any control over any message that's being sent across the medium. Um, you know, Stephen, you, you asked how we got to where we are. And I, I think that where you want to get to is, there were a series of cases in the 1990s, as the internet was just beginning, that got us to where we are. And if you want, I can get into them a little bit. Um, the first case was a 1991 case involving CompuServe. Those of us old enough to remember might remember that uh, CompuServe was a, you know, a forerunner and a predecessor to, you know, what we have as Facebook and Twitter today. Uh, it was a A place where you could put where there were chat rooms and you could post things on bulletin boards. um, And CompuServe did not exercise any control whatsoever over what was posted on its boards. Somebody allegedly posted a defamatory statement on the board, and the victim of the defamation sued CompuServe. And the court held that because CompuServe exercised no control whatsoever, it couldn't be held liable for the defamation. That was in 1991, I believe, and then there was a 1995 case involving another since defunct company called Prodigy. And the Prodigy case was similar, except that uh, it was a similar case because it involved defamation, but in the case of Prodigy, Prodigy retained control over whether it was gonna take down offensive and lewd Uh, and, you know, child pornography type messages that were posted. And the court in that case held that because Prodigy retained the right and in fact did exercise the right to selectively take down messages, it was therefore (laughs) responsible for all of the messages that were posted on its platform. And they found liability. Uh, Christopher Cox, who's a Republican member of the House of Representatives and uh, I believe it was Senator Ron Wyden of Oregon decided that that was a terrible thing, and they tried to incorporate protections for online providers in the Communications Decency Act that was originally introduced around the same time that decision came out in '95, and I think it was, in, it was passed in either '96 or '90. No, it must have been '96 because the Supreme Court decision striking most of it down came in '97, um, but. Section 230, which is a provision that people in this industry are are aware, you know, probably aware of, offers very broad protections for any internet service provider that's posting other people's information. Um, The protection, if you read the section, is it's phrased in the language of uh, good Samaritan provision. Uh, The intent of the section was to protect. The type of uh, moderation that Prodigy was doing, namely making sure that obscene material didn't get didn't remain posted, that child pornography and sex trafficking ads didn't didn't stay up, um, but nonetheless, even though the title of the, su- of the section does incorporate the words "good Samaritan," the actual language of the statute is pretty broad, and in 1997 case involving America Online, which is another blast from the past, uh, squarely came down on the side of America Online when somebody claimed that uh, information published on America Online defamed him uh, and asked to have it taken down. America Online said, no, we're not going to. And the person sued. I think the person's name was Zeron or Zaron or something like that, Z-E-R-A-N. And uh, the court held that America Online was protected by Section Two Thirty, and the social media companies have basically run from those decisions. You know, they've taken those those decisions from the nineteen nineties and they've run with it, um, and they have expanded what they moderate so that it's no longer merely a Good Samaritan exception, um, and it's no longer limited to just protecting, uh, you know, being able to take down pornography or sex trafficking or or thing or criminal activity. Um, anyone who's, who's been on Twitter and Facebook and the social media companies today knows, in fact, the way the, the companies are exercising their moderation rights, they're taking down any content that they just find editorially objectionable. Um, and so in that sense, they're no longer acting like a, like the telephone company that's been alerted to illegal activity going over its network. They're acting more like the New York Times deciding whether they're gonna publish a letter to the editor or an editorial piece or not. Um, and That's really the, the conundrum that we're at today, where, we are, where we're at today.
0: So to your understanding of section 230, what does a provider have to do to no longer be called a utility, a platform or whatnot?
1: It has to exercise editorial control over content. um and that i think that is not just criminal activity which it clearly is well no i'm sorry i'll do what
2: did you say excluding criminal activity because that everyone agrees they can uh censor correct (laughs) they can i i think the,
1: the it's unclear i mean i think that you know if you look at section 230 itself it's ambiguous and President Trump recently uh, issued an executive order interpreting Section 230 to limit it only to the cases where the internet provider in good faith believes that he's taking down criminal activity, uh, pornography, obscene material, other uh, copyright infringement or intellectual property infringement material, anything where there's a good faith basis to believe that the material is somehow illegal in some way um, I don't think that the statute necessarily requires that. That's a reasonable reading of the statute, but I don't think it's the only reasonable reading of the statute. The, uh, the internet providers are all going to say that the, the wording of Section 230, if you look at the actual language, is broader than that, and it just it gives them a blanket limit of liability. I don't think that's what was intended. From what I understand of the law, and from what I've read of Uh, what Chris Cox and Ron Wyden were writing in the 1990s about it, Uh, but it may need a legislative
0: uh, fix. So to get where we're trying to go, it's how can a libertarian be comfortable with any regulation of internet providers, even though we're hurt very badly by them refusing to platform us, et cetera. I just saw an interesting story, which pretty much relevant to this, Apparently, when Google sees a story saying hydroxychloroquine can cure COVID-19, they take it down. So the Mm -hmm. article's thrust was Google's actually responsible for killing people because they refuse to publish any story that could actually help somebody's health. But as a libertarian-leaning person, I'm saying, but they can do whatever they want. So am I correct that? more conservatives would be more comfortable with regulating them
1: well the issue i think is is not do they have the right to take that down the issue is if they take that down if they exercise the level of control to take that down do they then expose themselves to liability if somebody else commits a real defamation now if i go if somebody goes and, and defames me on facebook Facebook is not liable. It's not responsible for the defamation because it's treated as, as the phone company. However, if Facebook starts moderating comments and deciding what is gonna, whether it's gonna publish certain things or not, then I could come after them the way uh, Prodigy was subject to being sued before Section 230 was, in, was enacted. Now, I know that, it, that Facebook would say Section 230 still insulates them I think it's a little bit of a hazy area. I think they have a decent argument and it does require a legislative fix, but I don't think they have an airtight argument. Uh, it looks like
2: Alu has something he wants I, to say. I, I think in a world where things made sense and there was equal justice under the law, Facebook would be vulnerable if to being sued and they would be guilty civilly or criminally or both if someone did defame you and they didn't take it down as soon as they were notified. Right now, if some John Smith defames you on Facebook and said, Ed is a schmuck, they have to take it down because they've already proven that at least sometimes they censor things, You know, at least limit the visibility or warn people or totally remove things that defame their friends. Just the other day, I tried sharing a post that was slightly negative about Biden. It said, I think Biden is not very good on civil asset forfeiture or Biden um, you know, supported segregation back in the day. And Facebook gave me a big warning saying, hey, don't share this. You know, it's an old article. So they stuck their nose in there as a publisher, not a platform to protect Biden. Now, if they don't protect you as much as they protect their friend Biden, you should be suing them at least civilly. And as far as criminally, we'll get to that. But at least civilly, they, you should tell them that they should protect you from not only defamation that, that's a lie, but just anything that's negative about you you should see them if they don't protect you as much as they protect Biden, because it's unfair that they, and by the way, I wanna talk about in-kind donations. That's how aggressive okay, this we're was. gonna We're
0: gonna go back to in-kind. I wanna go back to the election law. Please remind me about that. But I think, Ed, you may have cleared something up that I may have totally misunderstood. Um, so I shouldn't have any problem as a libertarian with them taking away Section 230 protection, because it's still not gonna be criminal. It's just gonna allow me to sue like I'm allowed to sue you or anybody else.
1: Well not just the way you sue me or anybody else, but I think the better analogy is the New York Times and all these newspapers have gone have existed for hundreds of years without any section 230 liability. They're responsible if they post either online, well actually I shouldn't say online. If the if the New York Times publishes a letter to the editor by someone who says, you know, Ed's a fool and he's a moron and he does this and he's you know I can sue the New York Times in addition to whoever signed that letter to the editor, because it's, the doctrine is what's called republication. The New York Times has chosen to republish somebody else's defamatory statement. So <clears throat> Facebook, on the other hand, is saying, well, we don't. we're not responsible for what somebody else publishes because we're not making that editorial choice. Now, if they're selectively picking and choosing their messages, I think there's an argument that they are making that choice. And let me just add one other thing that, ha- that no one's addressed yet, and that is, it's not clear to me that Facebook is applying its own terms of service in good faith. Its terms of service indicate and suggest that it's going to be a platform for the free flow of information. Um, whether or not there's consideration for the contractual promise is a, a potential issue in, in suing under that theory, but... Um, Facebook seems to be breaching its own terms of, of service when it selectively decides we're going to take down criticisms of Biden, but we're not going to take down criticisms of Trump.
0: So what that allows, that takes away the argument that they're private and therefore shouldn't be regulated because you're saying, no, this is private, but it's still a contract violation. Jody, you had a comment?
4: Yeah. Hi, this is Jody. Um, uh, uh I wanted to say, first of all, I'm here, I'm learning. So this is something that, strangely, I am a huge uh, interest in um, First First Amendment things, but I'm st- tragically ignorant on this subject. So I'm really interested in learning. But I have one stupid question and one other comment, maybe. But my stupid question is, when we're talking about, wait, let me preface this by saying i honestly don't understand why this is a question that there's bias on facebook i i feel like it's so blaring um and would should be so easy to prove um that it's literally just a one-sided control but i'll put that aside my stupid question is okay as a libertarian And this may be going back to my misunderstanding really of what libertarian is or that i call myself a small small l libertarian because to me i feel like there wouldn't be a libertarian position on it because the libertarian position on this and frankly everything other than the single work of protecting individual liberty um, the libertarian position would be um, that it's to each their own to decide so you know, going more general, you know, you can be a communist and be a libertarian as long as you say that it is my choice and I leave others to be. You can be an anarchist and be a libertarian as long as you say that is my choice, you be what you be. So is this one of those issues where you can say it's not for the federal government, let the states do it? Is that is that a stupid question? Like, can Michigan regulate... Those platform versus, um, uh, I'm sorry, forgetting the word right now. Commit- oh can states regulate that differently?
2: Well, By not really, because it's, no, it's online hey, and it's really national. Yeah, and, and I was going to too complicated. Another,
0: but the the way I'm understanding it now, Jody, is it's not really we're asking the government to regulate. We're asking the government to get out of the way and let us treat them like anybody else. So I'm much more comfortable with that as a libertarian. Just Mm -hmm. like I could sue you for libel, I could sue Ed for libel, I should be able to sue Facebook for libel. The government has gotten in the way of that by protecting them with Section 230. So the one thing I've really learned in 20 minutes, if I understand correctly, is the libertarian position would be get the government out of the way and let me sue if I feel like suing.
1: I think that's right. Let me me just answer two things and then Jody, let me answer you two of the things you raised, Jody, and I'll give it back to you. Um, number one, um, theoretically, the states could regu- you know, regulate or pass laws on that, except for the fact that under Section 230, the federal government has already legislated in that area. And under the Supremacy Clause, the states can't impose their own conflicting rules on that subject. And it's called the preemption doctrine and the Supremacy Clause. Um, so I don't think, as a practical matter, that the states can do anything right now. Um, whether they could or not if there were no Section 230 it would be a separate question. Um, and as far as whether there's bias on Facebook, I don't think anybody is arguing about that. Just like, it, I don't think too many people disagree that the New York Times has its own perspective. And nobody is saying that the New York Times is not allowed to have its own perspective or even that Facebook can't prefer Biden to Trump or whoever they want or, or left, left-wing left people to right-wing people. They're certainly entitled to their, their opinion and to, to voice their opinion and to use their property to advance their own opinion and interests. What, what I think a lot of people, and certainly I am objecting to, is them obtaining the, prevent, the protections, the legal protections that, go toward, that are given to neutral purveyors of information when, in fact, they're not a neutral purveyor of information. They are deciding to use their property to advance a particular cause. They have every right to do so the same way that the New York Times has a right to do so, but the New York Times doesn't have the protection from uh, defamation law or copyright infringement or trademark infringement that the phone company has. Mm-hmm. So with that, I'll send it back to you and let you get back right. to what you're going to ask. I just want
0: to comment. We're pretty much all in agreement that Firefox and Chrome would never be liable because they are strictly platforms. Yeah, I, so I have a question on that then.
1: You know, Google is you know uses algorithms that bias what you find on its yes. site. So yeah, that's my
4: question. Yeah, it's how Google owns Chrome.
2: That makes things complicated.
0: Oh no, but I, okay. So Firefox, in other words, or when we were when Prodigy existed and Netscape existed, they would not be liable because they're pure platforms that other things ride on top of. Really, that's all I'm saying.
1: Correct. In the same way that the phone company does.
0: Right. Okay. I just want to now that we've taxed your mind. I'm going to come back to Alu's point, which I think is a really big point. Putting aside publisher versus platform, which I think we kind of all agree they are biased, therefore they should be treated as a publisher. That's in line with libertarianism because it's getting the government out of the way. How did, I know you hate when I ask you this, we have these unbelievably complicated election laws. What, how do they interface with election laws and when does Twitter refusing to retweet Trump or to publish his tweets become in-kind donations, et cetera, et cetera? Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: that's a very good question. Um, Thank you. I know a little about the subject, but I, I couldn't give you a definitive answer. Um, I, it sounds to me like that could be an in-kind contribution. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the line is. I mean you know, media, you know, the New York Times is a corporation and as a corporation is prohibited from making contributions, but it's also allowed to make endorsements. So on the endorsements, not treated as an in-kind contribution, even though it certainly helps the candidate. Um, I'm not sure exactly whether Twitter or Facebook pulling, you know, refusing to take ad, you know, I think refusing to take ads on an equal basis is cons- is going to be considered an in-kind contribution, but... What if
2: they're a racist? What if someone is, someone happens to be a president, you know, named Trump or something, and he's evil, and he says things like White Lives Matter, and he's, you know, uh, condemns BLM, then of course, Facebook, everyone agrees, should not accept his political ads, right? Um... I mean, I don't,
1: know that what, I don't know that
2: saying White Lives Matter is racist. Well, that's I mean, the most offensive statement in that, the But
0: that is actually, you're bringing up a good point. That is what they're standing behind to. Yeah. A bit.
2: Saying White Lives Matter is the most offensive thing a human can do. Forget statement. There's nothing a human being can do that's worse in 2020 than saying White Lives Matter. It is the most heinous crime a human being can commit in 2020. Well, well I mean, the Supreme Court has a history of protecting... Out. I'm sure. sorry, go ahead, Stephen.
0: I said they could put graffiti on murals on Fifth Avenue, but that's... that's a side point.
1: Well, I mean, the Supreme Court has a history of protecting offensive speech. I mean, you have the Miller case from 1973 where somebody wore a jacket saying, fuck the draft and pardon the language on, on a hopefully family podcast. Uh, but that was the actual language on the jacket. And that went to the, you know, it's in the Supreme Court reporter. And the Supreme Court said that that was protected speech. And it yeah, be- well, not
2: just protected by the Supreme Court as far as the First Amendment. I mean, I mean, it's Facebook. And that's what I posted in the chat just now, once we let Facebook take down anything, even if it's a, a real crime on the books, if we let Facebook take down anything, even the most horrible trafficking you know, things in the universe, the next step will be for them to remove all White Lives Matter, which I believe they're already censoring. Because currently in 2020, in the climate we're in, it is considered the most horrible thing a person can do or say in the universe, saying White Lives Matter. we have cities removing things and doing criminal investigations for posters put up to so saying White Lives Matter. It, it's considered the most heinous thing a human being can do. Um, so, if we let Facebook do anything, the next step will be they will be censoring okay. those things. It's very complicated. What
0: trying to say, if I understand you, is if the Section 230 says you can still be a platform if you only refuse to publish obscene stuff, then Facebook can hide behind that, calling White Lives Matter obscene.
2: Yeah. Ed, can you explain to us what obscene means? Because I know lots, uh, state laws do actually prohibit not only the display, but the possession of obscenities.
1: Right. Well, I mean, there's the famous statement from Potter Stewart that, you know, he can't define pornography except to say that I know it when I see it. Um, I don't know that there's a clear definition of obscene versus indecent. uh, But I think if you look at Section 230, like I said, the, the title of the subsection is Good Samaritan Provision. And I think even though the title of the section doesn't control over the actual statutory language, I think that's really what they were getting at when you're talking about you know uh, what you know what's obscene um I think that I think that they're trying what 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 the drafters of the language wanted to do was create create a, a protection for someone who took down pornography who took down uh criminal activity who took down uh, things that you know a good Samaritan would want taken down but are not otherwise. Uh, editorially based. I mean, by using a Good Samaritan standard, I think that what the, what what they're really trying to get at, and maybe it's too imprecise, but what they're trying to get at is something that the community as a whole generally thinks this is not something we want to disseminate.
2: And and Facebook says the community as a whole, and they're actually right when they say this. They say the community as a whole believes that White Lives Matter is as horrible as the worst kind of horrible, um, you know, abuse of children. So they need to take that down, and that's. Now, that's where things, the over-to-window, I would say shifted, but also got totally warped up and it's totally changed, you know, the shape is totally different of the over-to-window as well. It's become warped into a different universe.
0: Now, it's interesting because to my knowledge, the fairness doctrine is no longer um, in effect, correct? Correct. You want to just quickly explain what that is?
1: Well, that was a doctrine for the public airwaves that existed
0: I don't remember when it
1: was implemented. I want to say it was in the 1930s, but I'm not positive. And it lasted until Ronald Reagan eliminated it in, I believe, 1985. Uh, it said that uh, any user of the public airwaves had to offer equal time to different viewpoints. So, uh, you know, ABC, NBC, CBS, uh, even the public broadcasting channel had to offer equal time. To different viewpoints and couldn't just editorially slant themselves the way, say, the New York Times editorially slants itself, um, and it was justified on the basis that uh, there were a limited there was a limited spectrum of bandwidth for uh, communication over the television and over the radio, and they didn't want to allow one viewpoint to dominate another. They want the the writers of the legislation wanted to make sure that all viewpoints could be broadcast over the limited bandwidth of the airwaves which
0: pretty much doesn't apply to the internet we don't we don't have limited bandwidth
1: not only doesn't apply to the internet it doesn't apply to cable tv which was just at its embryonic beginnings in 1985 or whenever the you know during Reagan's presidency uh, you know, cable TV began in the late 1970s, early 1980s, um, and that was not subject to to the um, same FCC, reg- Federal Communications Commission regulations that the main networks uh, of television and radio are subject to, or the same broadcast licensing regulations.
3: Uh, comment, question?
0: Go ahead, si. Go
3: ahead si. Uh yeah and and that that basically emanates from the the whole thing about uh, broadcast airwaves being a natural resource the frequencies used by the uh, by these entities to broadcast to uh, to uh, institute television and radio stations and and therefore a a natural resource that is a finite resource in order to do this. That, that's the reason why they had to have these this fairness doctrine and and to um, uh, abide by these these rules, but we have today a situation where we have a blurring of the lines. Uh, we have internet service providers becoming content providers, distributors becoming internet service providers you look at You look at, for example, Comcast that now owns universal, okay it owned the pipes now it's owning content as well as distribution. So you have this vertical integration that's really causing a blurring of the lines, which I believe calls for a re examination of, of of what you know what should be um, Allowed, what should be uh, permissible, and what should be uh, mandated by these these entities that that now are no longer just the owners of the pipelines of uh, and and finite resources. So I think that that because everything is kind of melding together. Everything is becoming information. How it gets delivered, most people really don't care, and they couldn't even distinguish how it gets delivered. All they know is they go to watch their favorite show, and they sometimes can't even tell you what what channel it's on. They just know their show.
0: Go ahead, Jody. No, I was
4: just going to ask, is there any um, bubbling up of any sort of way that, is this going to the Supreme Court to have this sort of hashed out? And the facts of the matter as far as the blatant bias being put on display and scrutinized legally?
1: Well, I think Prager University is one of the few entities that I know of that has tried challenging these act, these uh, Facebook and Twitter actions through the courts. Um, my recollection is that they didn't meet with much success. I think they lost their case, uh, but I don't remember the details. Uh, I don't think it's working its way through the courts. And having looked at Section 230, I'm not sure it's a great case to bring to the Supreme Court. It's probably a better case to be brought to the legislature to ask for the legislature and Congress to clarify what Section 230 really means. Um, I do would be concerned that a, a Supreme Court decision might not go the way, it sounds like most of us here are certainly the way I would want it to go. Um, I, Why? I, 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 I would guess. legislators pass legislation.
2: Why?
1: To clarify that set, what Section 230 protects and what it doesn't protect. Well, I,
2: I was I was um, mocking the legislators who don't pass well, legislation. No, I'll, I'll, give it, pass I'll give it, it right back everything. to Jody,
0: but the, the point is a lot of people are complaining that Social media is so powerful that there's nobody in Congress that, the gu- that has the guts. That's what I was going to say. To touch yeah. it. Go ahead, Jody.
4: I'm just, I'm still, I've maybe already said this, Ed, I'm not sure. I'm sorry if I missed it, but why? Like, why Why wouldn't it go our way in court? It seems like such, what's the word? A, evil is the only thing I can come up with, but it seems like it should be a blatant, I don't know. Why, why, why would it not go our way and why didn't it? I, I guess that's maybe some research to be done, but.
3: Uh, Comment.
0: Go, go ahead, son. Uh
3: Possibly the reason why, uh, one of the reasons why, in my personal opinion, is that um, there's a, there's a loss of moral compass at almost every institutional level of our society. Uh, from the politicians, the lawmakers, uh, almost at every level. People that are in charge, people that have the authority and the expertise are afraid to step up and make the decisions that are good for the collective, for the, for the entire collective. And they place their own personal agendas above that. And therefore, they're absolutely terrified of being singled out in social media because of what it will mean to them on a personal level.
1: Let me let me just let me interject a little here too, uh, Jody. Uh, let me try and address your question. And I, while Sai was talking, I, I actually called up Section Two Hundred and Thirty on my phone here. Um, Subsection A of Section Two Hundred and Thirty deals with congressional findings where they're trying to foster a free speech and a broader internet. Um, and likewise, Section Subsection B is that is the policy of the United States to promote the continued development of the internet and interactive computer services to preserve the vibrant and competitive free market that presently exists, to encourage development of technologies which maximize user control, goes on and on. But the key one is subsection C, that's where the protection is. And the the title of subsection C is Protection for Good Samaritan Blocking and Screening of Offensive Material. C1 says treatment of publisher or speaker, no provider or user of an interactive computer service shall be treated as the publisher or speaker of any information provided by another information content provider. And then subsection two C two says civil liability, no provider or user of an interactive computer service shall be held liable on account of any action voluntarily taken in good faith to restrict access to or availability of material that the provider or user considers to be obscene lewd, lascivious, filthy, excessively violent, harassing, or otherwise objectionable, whether or not such material is constitutionally protected. I'm almost done, Alu. Uh, And then any action taken to enable or make available to internet content providers or others the technical means to restrict access to the material in the preceding section. So I'm not sure. I mean, it's a really broad liability shield. Um, They do try and limit it to obscene lewd lascivious filthy excessively violent and harassing otherwise objectionable material but that's not the way the courts have interpreted it so far and i wouldn't be confident that the u.s supreme court is going to narrow it, the prior holdings to the specific exemptions in that statute especially when you have other language in the statutory language that specifically says it's intended to be a broad protection and to protect the the growth of the internet and the vibrant free market. um, It could, I mean, I just, it it will be a gamble. Alu, it looked like you wanted to say something.
2: Yeah, here's why I don't like the law. I'm glad you read that and and please send that to me. I'll copy and paste it into the article to update it. What I was hoping the law said was that Facebook is only protected from losing their platform status if they remove criminal activity material. But this just gave them a tremendous blanket broad protection an excuse to remove anything they consider offensive, lewd, whatever, logitious, whatever the other word was, or otherwise objectionable. That gives them a tremendously broad protection to remove anything that Facebook doesn't like, and they will not lose their platform protection, meaning we're screwed. And, and again, and that was section 230, meaning that's uh, federal law passed by Congress, I assume, meaning the Supreme Court would uphold that because it's already there. They would just you know confirm that, that uh, ruling, that current federal law. So Facebook can remove anything they consider objectionable, meaning offensive or anything they just do not like meaning they don't like trump they can remove it and they and they have no there's no issue with that they can remove trump conservatives free market gun rights facebook and anything by section 230 meaning any big online platform publisher can do it the word
0: word objectionable was in the statute
2: yes but i mean elliot i'm i have the
1: same problem with with the statutory language but it does also say that the action by facebook has to be taken in good faith and mean, also, huh? In good faith, that right. means nothing to me. That means nothing to me. No, I think, I think no. That, that. I don't think that the. If, here's the argument I would make on the other side. On the other side, I would say, you've got a list of things here: obscene, lewd, lascivious, filthy, excessively violent, harassing, and then if you All interpret, if you if you interpret the last item or otherwise objectionable as broadly as you're saying. That effectively moots the the rest of the list. I agree. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. I think, the, but I think the, the the better statutory reading is that other objectionable material has to be of like kind to those other things on the list. Now, I think the better solution would be for Congress to rewrite the law and make it more clear. That's that's why I'm saying. I mean, I don't know how the Supreme Court's going to come out on it. Um, I think we'd be, we it would be a better thing if Congress passed an amendment to the law that clarified exactly what's intended there.
0: So just looking really quickly at one story about the PragerU thing, and it's obviously not a legal thing, it says they lost the case because the court said they're private, they can do whatever the heck they want. Who's they? How does that... YouTube. That's so stupid.
1: I'm sorry, we interrupted you there, Stephen.
0: Oh, Oh, I'm sorry. It said that YouTube taking down PragerU, and I believe Spotify is just the platform PragerU recently, they're allowed to do it because they're private. So nobody's disagreeing that they're private. We're disagreeing. At what point are they breaking that 230 protection? And I, I hate to say it, but the way Alu said the Overton window has moved so far. If I wanted to put up an ad for Aunt Jemima, and God forbid, let's say I wanted to sell one of those old bottles as a collector's item on eBay, they could take it down and say, that is like totally out of bounds of decent behavior right now. And by the way, Amazon just took down all of its Redskins stuff, and they can say, We're, that's indecent Redskin stuff. And the proof being that the groundswell, to take away that name, has been so big, obviously, the populace at large, thinks that that's beyond the pale. So, Jody, you had a comment?
4: Uh, No, I was just gonna say, um, aside from their ability to remove content, they've come up with the ability to sort of control the outcome of the content when they have now um, formulated their fact-checking groups. And they're using fact-checkers who themselves have such an extreme political bias and if you have ever spent much time following the places like Politifact, it's rather extraordinary the lengths that those organiz- that organization goes to to spin what they say you know they will literally say um, something is something somebody said is not true. In the facts that they share they'll say show you that it's true, but they'll make this, you know, intellectual gymnastics to say, but this is why we're saying it's not true, and it will be profound. They're using these kinds of organizations so that when I post something, instead of taking it down, they're going to take it down now with these, it's kind of a different way. Why is that not considered uh, being publishers when they do that? That's not, that's coming well, I that's from exact-
1: that. Sorry, Jody. I-, I think that's exactly the question, and integrating what you just said with with what steven said about the prager u case nobody nobody believes that facebook doesn't have the right to have fact checkers they have the right the absolute right to have their own opinion to advance their own agenda the question is at what point does doing that strip them of the liability protections that are intended for neutral purveyors of information um i you know I think that the exception in Section 230 was intended to be a narrow exception, and when I say exception, I mean the the exception to the liability shield. I think that they were the list of things that are that are in that list are, are you know things like pornography, things like child trafficking, things like advertisements for criminal activity or solicitation. Um, I, I don't think it was intended to broadly exempt. Uh, social media companies from the kinds of liability that newspaper publishers, for example, have been dealing with for hundreds of years.
4: So, Ed, uh, 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 aside from a legislative solution, do you think, I'm pleased when I say this, don't anybody ever hear that I'm wishing for this, but I'm wondering if somebody gets killed because Facebook, uh, functioned in the plat or the publisher instance. And because of that blatant bias, somebody on the right was killed by somebody on the left and you could trace it back Would that wake up the two thirty viol- Would Would that be an avenue to, I'm not saying I wish for that. I'm saying it's people- already happened. People would that at changed. least start to, say, okay, wait, th- this, is, this is totally happening.
0: It's a total violation of... Well, Joe, if look at the case, if you look at the case I mentioned 20 minutes ago that Google won't publish that hydroxychloroquine may save lives. So obviously the fact that thousands <laughs> of people may die because of their publishing bias yeah. doesn't seem to get that many people upset. I want to wrap up in a few minutes, but I want to throw one more thing at Ed since he's still putting up with us. The third leg that gets involved here when we talk about the right of government to get involved is this wonderful thing called antitrust and busting up monopolies. And we probably have to dedicate a half an hour to that. And could I ever be comfortable libertarian-wise with breaking up a monopoly? And again, I know that's a pretty big subject.
1: I think it is a pretty big subject. And I think it sort of segues into, you know, I, I sort of wanted to, when we get to the end, I kind of wanted to get to a more higher level overview of what's going on. Um, I think in general, antitrust law is not a good thing. I think that if you acquire property, the more the merrier, and I don't think that, that getting more is necessarily a threat, um, or I don't think it's even, forget about necessarily, it's not a threat. However, and, and this sort of gets to the, the, higher, the, the more higher level overview I wanted to eventually get to, I think that the libertarian answer of, of liberty and freedom really has problems with what to do when the market is taking you to dictatorship. And if you go back to the founders, the founders were, were in, in uniform agreement that virtue was a necessary requirement of the people, and that no, good, no constitution would be of any good if the people lost virtue and the question for a libertarian i think is what what do you, what is a virtuous person supposed to do when he becomes surrounded by non-virtuous people but the the non-virtuous people are you know like if it's 50-50 i mean like today i wouldn't call america an immoral society but i also don't think we have the level of virtue that we had at the time of the founding either. And we're sort of in a transition stage. And the question is, well, what are, what are we good people supposed to do when Facebook, for instance, or Google work together with the Chinese communist government to perfect censorship, to implement and enforce censorship in that country, and then they bring that knowledge back over here and they have their own political agenda that in the academic sense is totally protected under the first amendment that they can be for dictatorship, but they want to influence the entire culture to, to adopt their point of view. Do the rest of us have to just sit there and you know, build your own internet, build your own credit card systems, build your own banking system? You know, Just because of these few large entities that go across international borders and maybe adopt uh, really anti-liberty points of view Um, And then, quite frankly, work together behind the scenes with the anti-Liberty Party in America, the Democrat Party. And, you know, Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi don't have to pass a law for censorship. They can tell Google and they can tell Facebook, hey, it would be great if there were no Trump supporters getting their message out. It would be great if you took if you took uh, Trump down off of Twitter and Facebook. Trump relies on Twitter to get his message out. Take him down right? And they don't have to pass a law. If they're friends with the owners of, of, of Twitter and, and Facebook, maybe those guys do it for them. And if they have a bias for that anti-Liberty Party, well, what are the rest of us supposed to do? Are we supposed to just sit here and wait until until the culture is so corrupted and so gone that we're being put in, in cattle cars? I mean, you know, I, I know that that's sort of an extreme example, but at some point, I think that we need to be able to to do something. It's not gonna it's not gonna t- carry the day, uh, whether it's antitrust or whether it's just regulating the big the big social media companies. I don't know the answer, and I'm not advocating regulation per se, but I am saying that I think the libertarian answer of do nothing doesn't doesn't really address what to do when the culture is in the beginnings of being overrun by status totalitarians, which is where we are right now. Okay. And, and Ed, I see a bunch of you wanna, want, want no. questions, so I'll yield the floor.
0: Hold on, Ed, is, is that your closing statement or do you have more you wanted to say?
1: Um, that was what I wanted to, I mean, I, that was what I wanted to say. I can respond to what people have, have to say in response to that.
0: Okay, I'm gonna give Alu a closing question and statement and Jody a closing question and statement. Okay, Alu, go first.
2: Yeah. And you raise great points, obviously. And, and I've said this, we've written articles about this in the past. 100%, I agree. It's not just the you know politicians on the left that are fighting against the authoritarians. It's tremendously powerful, omnipotent private companies like Google and Facebook. What I've been wanting to say for, for a while now, I just haven't had a chance to speak in a while now, is nobody, the practical thing, this is all academic, the practical thing that I want to keep hammering at is nobody has the guts, even if they wanted to do this, no one has the guts to go up against Facebook and Google and strip them of their platform status. Even if Schumer wanted to, he probably doesn't want to, but even if he wanted to, he doesn't have the guts. Gorsuch and Kavanaugh don't have the guts and Clarence Thomas and Trump doesn't have the guts. No one has the guts to strip Zuckerberg and Google. Literally the most powerful people in the world are the owners of Google and Facebook. They control the world. They control the narrative. Two or three billion people use Facebook and Google. Really, everyone on the internet uses Google, 99%, I believe. So nobody has the guts. And this is beyond antitrust monopoly. This is beyond. If there's a word for super monopoly, that's what Google is. They, they run the world.
0: Um, right. but, but Ed's not arguing with you. He's asking what, yeah. what do we do? Yeah. I think for next week or whenever we revisit, that's going to be a difference between what conservatives do. Yes.
2: And well, and what my answer. Yeah, my answer to what can we do is I think we have two options. And I, we generally agree. We can either give government more power and hope they use it for good to regulate these you know companies like Facebook and Google. But I don't trust people like Trump and, and Comey and Clinton and Barr and Pelosi and Schumer. So I don't want to give them more power. The other option is vote with our dollars. And we still can. I know Facebook and Google have more money than I do. You know Zuckerberg has more power than I do. But we still, it's, it's kind of too late, but it's not 100% too late to vote with our dollars and take our business elsewhere. All of the Liberty Block and our networks and our friends and our thousands and thousands of friends and our viewers and readers, if we all moved onto something like Parler, MeWe, some other website, uh, uh, LBRY, any other website, we can vote with our dollars. And there is a big movement. There's a big exodus. I don't know if it's big enough, but there's an exodus movement right now from Facebook and, and Twitter and YouTube. And it's tough because they're already established platforms. They've already worked out a lot of the kinks. and their phenomenal interface compared to the newer sites, but we can vote with our dollars still. So if the two options are give government more power and hope they regulate them in a good way and hope that the next president, President uh, Joe Biden or, or Elizabeth Warren doesn't use that same power to screw us even more, I'm not so high on that solution. I think the only solution we have is to educate people with Liberty Block, like we are right now, and to vote with their dollars and to, and to just leave them. It's, it sucks and it's hard, but we have to just leave them. And that is it's all we can do. And it's a tough situation for sure.
0: Jodi, I'm going to give you the last closing statement and all your questions and all the time you want. I'm really happy Alu did not mention the real solution. We're going to leave that for <laughs> another time. Go for it, Jodi.
4: Okay. So hopefully my closing is sort of maybe the beginning of our next episode. I don't know. We'll see. But I want to speak to two things, antitrust laws and the concept of libertarians just saying do nothing. And I'm going to, I'm going to speak to it through the prism of healthcare because that's where my background is. But Antitrust laws, and Ed, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but antitrust, an antitrust law, trust law and a really good example are the certificate of need laws. And so if, if we're gonna say, people, people look at healthcare and they think that this is capitalism. Healthcare in America is not an example of capitalism. Healthcare in America is an example of what you do when you say government protect me in this industry. And it's been decades of happening. And certificate of Need laws is a really good example of supposed attempts to protect people, the buyers, the purchasers from monopoly, and the exact opposite is happening when you can't open a healthcare facility in an area without the express permission of existing healthcare facilities in the area. We know they're not going to, they're not going to allow it. So that very um, concept of free market and government getting out of the way and doing nothing doesn't exist in our healthcare system the way it should right now and so and who who gets significantly damaged in that do something environment is the buyer because the buyer doesn't have the ability to vote with their pocketbook they've been totally drowned out of being able to afford what should be a much more affordable product in the name of The government has to do something. So I yield. Hopefully next week we can get into
0: that more. Was it Ronald Reagan? What did he say? We're here from the government. We're here to help you. (laughs) Um, It's not going well. Okay. Uh, Just going to wrap up, say goodbye to everybody. And so that I don't get yelled at, I'm going to mention that this podcast will be up on both SoundCloud and iTunes, hopefully within an hour or two. We look forward to being back. Hopefully next Wednesday, 3 o'clock, which should be our regular time. And thank everyone for participating. Have a wonderful evening.